Well, you will be reminded multiple times today, if you uh, turn on your TV this afternoon, about noon, or this afternoon about 3.15, or even tonight, or tomorrow night, that this is opening weekend of the NFL. Elijah uh, has uh, several apps on, on my phone in which he predicts uh, winners, and uh, uh, has a couple of fantasy football teams that he manages. I thought one of them was mine, but it turns out that it's mine in name only and really his. Uh, now, we, we, we do not want to be clear with all of the news in Kansas recently. None of this, is, uh, none, none of this involves sports betting, so you, you don't, have to, don't have to worry about my, my, my check from the good folk at Willard being used to wager uh, but he has a lot of fun with it. In fact, he called on our way, and he needed Jonah to update one thing to, to make sure that everything was set. But he'd be disappointed because I'm opening my, my sermon today talking about baseball. So that's not the reason he's not here. I didn't warn him, but uh, he needed a little recovery time after his, his, his game last night. This guy here is great Cardinal Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Gibson. There's a story told of a rookie baseball player who was just called up from the minor leagues. He sat on the bench most of the game, and coach turned to him as the game wore on and said, Rookie, you're hitting next inning. So he went and got in the batter's box, took a few practice swings. As nervous as he'd ever been, Standing, waiting to receive pitches from a pitcher. His first major league at bat, and the story is that Gibson, as he famously did, just stared him down 66 feet away. With a great windup in a pitch, Gibson blew two consecutive fastballs just right down the middle of the plate. Whew, strike one, two, strike two. And the poor rookie, he kind of slumped his shoulders after the second one. Uh, went by, just a two-strike count, and he just turned and started to walk back towards the dugout. And his coach thought that he'd lost track in his nerves of the count. And he said, hey, what are you doing? You've got at least one more pitch. And the rookie said, let him have it. I've, I've seen enough already. <laughs> you know, the circumstances of our lives there may have been times where we felt similar to that rookie. I've seen enough already. Sense of discouragement as we look at what we think may represent some sort of insurmountable obstacle. We find ourselves becoming downhearted and depressed or worried, fearful, whatever the case may be. Where do we turn when we feel that way? Do we to overuse the analogy, just step out of the batter's box and walk back to the dugout? Or, or what is our next step as people who claim the name of followers of Jesus? I think there's some good news for us in John 14. This will be really our last, uh, our last uh, service where we focus on the 14th chapter of John. You'll remember it opened with uh, I guess it's 13. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a portion of Jesus teaching to his disciples 
right as his uh, crucifixion looms. Chapter 4, he'd washed their feet, and they're asking him, you know, as he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. Believe in God, believe also in me. And the disciples are interjecting questions. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. But Philip says, show us the Father so that we can believe. And, and there's this, <laughs> there's this, gotta be for Jesus, this sense that, gosh, these guys just don't get it. How, how? <laughs> Maybe he thought it in his mind, but dear Father, if I'm leaving and, and this is our plan, if these guys are if these guys are our plan for spreading the gospel of the kingdom, how are they going to do it? Well, Jesus of course knew, and in John 14, he even begins to explain to the disciples what that would look like. From John 14, beginning with the 15th verse, continuing in his teaching to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. One of Jesus' last messages to his disciples was simply, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. I will not abandon you. Orphan is not a word quite as... uh, popular in its use as it was at one day, perhaps. I think, though, if, if we allow the typically agreed-upon definition, the idea of a child without any parents, if we, if we allow that to expand just a little bit, I, I think it's, it's helpful. If we think of it simply as those who feel abandoned, who feel alone without help, who are left without guidance or comfort. Those are, those are feelings that an orphan would have. And I don't think it's necessarily limited to child. A number of people at various stages of life can qualify if we use that as our definition. Abandoned, alone, Without hope, surely the, surely the disciples would have qualified. Just, what, 12 hours after Jesus shares these words with them? When they see him hanging on a cross, and then a few hours later, when the, woman ta- the women take him and lay him in a tomb, 
Surely they felt abandoned, alone, without hope. I was thinking of others at various stages of life who may qualify. Maybe it's been us at times who have felt this way. The 55-year-old factory worker who's laid off when the plant closes, leaving him towards the end of his working career without prospect of another job. He feels probably too old or too tired to consider retraining. Feels alone. Unemployed and living off pension funds that will soon run out. Who is there to say to him, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. I think of some, even within our own congregation, who at times have experienced the loss of a long-term, decades-long spouse. And all of a sudden, the home that they have lived in with their spouse is empty. Alone in a house that feels extra big. Children who love them, but with lives of their own. Who is there to say to this widow or widower, I will not leave you as orphans, I will not abandon you. To go to the other side of the world where disease ravages portions of the world, where sometimes young people die and live alone in pain, Who is there to say to him or her, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. These are just three examples. Some may feel closer and more realistic than others. But we can agree that whether it's on the other side of the world or sometimes in our own living room, there are times where we feel without hope, rejected, and lonely. Like that rookie facing Bob Gibson. To them and to us, there's good news this morning. For there is one who is here to say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. In our passage from John 14, Jesus sits with the disciples in the upper room and the the candles of the Passover meal have burnt short and it is time to go. One disciple has already fled the gathering. His betrayal will be a shock to the gathered remaining 11. Another disciple, Peter, I don't think we actually read this at least in much detail, but Jesus has predicted that he will deny him. And the physical pain of the cross awaits Jesus, the emotional anguish of the disciples, seeing their hope literally crucified before them, awaits each of the remaining 11. And in the midst of this uncertain gathering, Jesus reaches out to them in love. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In just a little while, the world will not see me again, but you will. 
for I will live again, and you will too. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Reference to the Holy Spirit, which is it's pretty rare in John for Jesus to reference the Spirit. Sometimes that word translated counselor is translated advocate. The one who fights, maybe too strong of a word. You understand it, though. Typically, we think of it in the role of a court system where someone unable to obtain their own legal counsel because of financial constraints or because of age most often is appointed a court advocate, one who can stand and plead their case in a way that they are incapable of doing on their own. The Spirit, a member of the Trinity, God, tasked with pleading our case when we're incapable of doing it on our own. I will send you a counselor, an advocate, a comforter, a friend who will care for you, who will offer you hope when there is none to be found, help when you are helpless, comfort when you can find none, and even life in the face of death. Jesus' solution, more accurately stated, the Godhead's solution for what the church would do when Jesus was no longer present was us. Was us endowed with the very presence of God through the Spirit. And then, and then the Holy Spirit sends us as messengers of God's love. Those who have been rescued from feelings of hopelessness and, and loneliness sends us to share that message to those who are experiencing it now. So who is there to say to them, them being the lonely, the helpless, the orphans of the world, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. It's you and it's me. We are the ones whom God entrusts with the good news. We are the ones sent forth with his love. Love, of course, has the power to heal, has the power to make well. It has the power to lift drooping heads and to fill empty hearts. Think about the Folk who were healed just by being in the presence of Jesus. Think of the lady who reached out to touch the hem of his garment. Not even was Jesus' uh, willful consent. Remember that story? I felt power go out of me. The disciples, how did you feel that with all these people around you? The the environment of love that he created was so strong that it literally brought healing to those who were there. Jesus was God's love in the flesh. Often now, God uses us to share that love with the brokenhearted, 
to fill the emptiness of loss, to comfort the lonely and strengthen the weak. Sometimes we too feel overmatched by the circumstances of life. But we have in those moments a father who loves us, a savior who triumphed over death, and then just as Jesus promised the disciples, he promises us, we have the spirit, God's presence, to renew in us a life of faith and love. Because of that, even when we sense feelings of despondency, loneliness, we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. May we not not only be recipients of that peace, but also conduits of God's love. Amen. Amen. We're going.